Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. going on thunder fans you people are listening to topic thunder Right, and welcome into a very special episode of Topic Thunder. Um, I'm here joined in. I'm Alex. I'm joined in by Matt Tierney over in North Carolina. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, I was doing better until this evening when I just watched Duke get away with the most atrocious win I've ever seen in March Madness. They should not have won that game. They did not deserve to advance. I am, I am still shaking with anger. And uh, I'm ready to just move on from that and talk about NBA basketball, the, the superior type of basketball. Classic UNC guy. All right. And also mm-hmm. joined in from the state of Washington, we got Stephen Dolan. Stephen, how's it? Hey, I'm doing great. Let's move past me and get to the guest because I'm super hyped about this guest. All right. All right. <laughs> so joining us today, uh, we're joined in by the man behind the mic who actually gets airtime for the Thunder. The man whose hometown team likely just played and won the best game of the tourney so far. Uh, the man who moves his mic very slowly when players are cursing live on TV. Uh, the, man who's, the man whose rank should be and is probably higher than Commodore. Uh, he's the man who gets to ask the first questions. He's Nick Gallo. Nick, welcome to the podcast. That's that's quite the intro, Alex. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to live up to that. That is that's how we do it here. I feel like I stepped into the ring, you know. Literally every literally every guest that we've had the last three or four times has been almost like they can't handle the introduction every single time. They're like, like that's we, too much, guys. I like it. I, I think it's a good way to start the podcast. I, I'm yeah. digging it. We gotta flatter the guests, you know. Just we had Fred Katz ask us to put that on his LinkedIn. <laughs> his intro. I, I feel like the 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 Khaleesi, the mother of dragons. Oh, you know, there we titles, go. Titles, 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 yeah. titles yeah, exactly. upon titles. <laughs> well, I do have to say, Matt, uh, I didn't realize that you lived in North Carolina, uh, and I I'm do. and I uh, I have to say, I had a very different viewing experience this afternoon. Oh, great! Yeah, I, you had the I, wrong experience, yeah. sir. <laughs> so no, first you, of all, first of all, for people who don't know. Nick, you grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Is that correct? That, that's right. Yeah, it kind of uh, five, five, ten minutes away in the, in the shadow of Cameron Indoor Stadium. Um, so although, how did I, you I, feel about today's game? Well, first of all, I watched the entire last like five minutes of the game, like the uh, like the pilot in the movie Airplane. It's like sweating bullets and like <laughs> completely losing it. And um, but obviously, uh, I, I still don't understand the physics of how uh, Aubrey Dawkins put back didn't drop. I still don't understand how the ball didn't go in. Um, but needless to say, uh, I, was, I was as a 
as a uh, lifelong um, Duramite, I, I was happy to to see the the end result there. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, I will say I I will say I have plenty of friends who are very very good UNC fans. I've actually had some great memories and experiences up at the Dean Dome as well. So I uh, I got nothing but love for uh, for my Carolina guys. Dang it. A Duke fan, that's nice. I don't know how I can handle that. <laughs> Got to kill him with kindness. That's the only <laughs> it's not helping me. <laughs> so kind of kind of piggybacking off of that, since it is apparent that growing up you were a Duke fan, um, what was your best? Yeah, what was your best? What was your best Duke sports memory growing up? Uh, the, the 2001 national championship, my favorite basketball player of all time was, uh, Jason Williams, the point guard for Duke, mm-hmm. uh, that title team. Um, I, you know, I just thought he was the best and I still to this day think he would have obviously had a fantastic NBA career if not for, uh, his injury. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, growing, growing up in Durham, I, I actually lived in Chapel Hill for some time as well as a kid you know, basketball is just in your blood. Um, and it's, you know, it's everybody's first love, um, in North Carolina. So, um, something that I've been passionate about, uh, for a long, long, long time. So did, did the fandom go away when you went to college? Cause you ended up going to an sec school, right? Yeah, I went to Vanderbilt. And so that was a little awkward I, and I was lucky actually mm-hmm. Vanderbilt's basketball team was quite good when I was there. I had a couple runs to the sweet 16, um, Festus Azili, Jeff Taylor, John Jenkins, some of those guys, uh, they, they made a couple nice runs. So, you know, it helped, it helped make the transition kind of easier for me. Um, you know, going, going to some place where the basketball was still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually funny, you know, Billy Donovan always gives me a hard time. Vanderbilt went 0 and 18 in the SEC this year. So in, in <laughs> when I was in college, you know, Billy was coaching Florida and, um, you know, they would come to, to Nashville and, um, most frequently they would, you know, stomp Vanderbilt, but uh, I think we, we snuck a win or two, uh, again <laughs> during that time. So it's, it's been fun to kind of talk sec hoops with, with Billy. Uh, yeah. So you, you went to Vanderbilt and you mentioned that they had a few runs. Um, you wrote for the Vanderbilt sports newspaper, great name, by the way, the Vanderbilt hustler. Yeah. I really enjoy that. Um, yeah. So which which of those runs was your best memory from your college tenure? Well, the most memorable one was actually probably the most heartbreaking one. It was my freshman year when they lost to Georgetown in the Sweet 16, I believe. And Jeff Green traveled. Yes, the Thunders, Jeff Green. Uh, Georgetown zone. He traveled on a uh, game-winning bank shot i believe it was a bank shot um and uh vandy's vandy's ncaa tournament run ended there but um i just i would just remember you know being on campus and everyone was so fired up about that tournament and um excited for it and and was so optimistic um and it was as a, as a, a freshman it was a great introduction into being a vanderbilt sports fan um, to, to have a gut-wrenching loss uh, in the last <laughs> moment really really helped set the tone for the uh, the rest of my college career. Yeah, that makes sense. I had I did a little bit of research and prep for this question, and I had the 2004 Sweet 16 where you upset number three NC State. Um, 
But I guess it's not the most heartbreaking, right? Because then you knew, you went on to lose to the eventual champion UConn. So you can you can excuse that one, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, and that was that was uh, before my time, um, and really oh, okay. kind of before. Uh, yeah, I got there in '06 and graduated in 2010. So um, okay. that, I was I probably missed that by a couple years, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a Google fail by me. So uh, <laughs> okay. follow up question. Follow up question: Did you have an NBA team at this point? And it's okay if you did. Nobody's going to look down on you for it because the Thunder didn't exist. So just say whatever you want. So I the Bobcats. Up, I grew up um, a, a fan of basically all Philadelphia sports teams because that's where my dad's from. So my favorite player growing up was Allen Iverson. Um, and so, you know, I, I, my, my NBA allegiance was actually pretty loose, though, um, just with college basketball being so dominant. Where I grew up, I didn't really have, you know, an NBA team that I lived and died for, um, and and so that that actually was when I ended up coming to the NBA, uh, it was kind of nice because I could um, come into it fresh without any uh, lingering attachments or feelings, um, and so it's been it's been a joy to work for the Thunder, and um, you know, kind of I, I wasn't here the very first year, but. Um, have been here eight seasons now, which is uh, the majority of the, the time mm. the team's been in OKC. So I really kind of feel like I've um, grown up with the organization in some way. So, so, and I, so you said Iverson was the guy you, you kind of grew up um, looking at. Um, yeah. So the last, the last little bit of organized basketball that you played, was it high school or was it college? Did you high school. Yeah. I, I didn't school. play in college. I, uh, I didn't grow tall enough to do that. You guys probably know from the the walk off interviews I do with our players. I, I know they're, they're very tall, but uh, you know I didn't I didn't get that last extra growth spurt. So I was kind of like a like the ninth ninth tenth man um, on the uh, on my high school team, and I was fortunate that I had a had a pretty good high school team. So I got to see um, a few guys that would go on to play um, you know mid mid to low level um, division one and, um, got to, got to do, um, you know, be a part of a team and be a part of a pretty good team. So, okay. So in Vanderbilt, and I, I kind of read this, so please, if I, if this is wrong, let me know, but you majored in political science and poli sci. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you go from, from majoring in poli sci to work in the thunder, you know, working as the thunder sideline reporter? Well, you know, uh, it's Vanderbilt's produced a, a pretty good number of sports journalists, but it doesn't have a sports journalism major, or it didn't when I was there at least. So, uh, like Lee Jenkins, who uh, used to work for Sports Illustrated, he went to Vanderbilt. Um, Buster Olney, um, Skip Bayless actually <laughs> went to Vanderbilt. Yeah, uh, that's the uh, one that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, no, but I, I've looked up to to Lee Jenkins forever. Um, he's you know the best one of the best to ever do it. And, um, so anyway, I, I kind of had to, I had to pick a different major. I was always interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, uh, did an internship actually in Washington DC, uh, working for a political talk show, uh, one summer, um, during college. But I also, that same summer, I, uh, was able to, to get an internship with the Tennessee Titans, um, which is right, just right down the street in, uh, in Nashville. So, I started uh, working for them, writing for their website, and 
you know, I, I was always a, a decent writer and, um, that was something that I really enjoyed. So, uh, once it kind of came, uh, time to decide what I was going to pursue, I realized that sports was a lot more fun than politics. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you said you worked, you wrote for the Titans. So speaking of just kind of other sports before we get into your time with OKC, uh, did you, were you a fan of, of the Tennessee Titans? Did you, did you have an NFL team or were you just, you know, looking for writing and, and were able to, to get that, uh, get that gig? I was just, uh, really fortunate to be in the right place, right time. A lot of luck. Um, the, uh, a person who, um, was in charge of hiring my position, that internship position at the Titans, uh, had gone to Vanderbilt. So one of the things he mm-hmm. usually do was, you know, reach back and, um, you know, find a kid that, uh, was looking for an internship to, to come over. So, um, that was my, that was my break and my foot in the door, um, mm-hmm. in sports. And by the time, uh, my second semester, my senior year rolled around, I really just spammed my resume to every single mm-hmm. contact I had made in the NFL. And, uh, I was able to land kind of a full-time, um, position with the New York jets, um, mm who uh, were pretty good at, at that time. Uh, obviously, it was a big move to move up to the New York area. Um, right. And those were those were kind of grinding 14-hour um, days, uh, about 18 months worth of that until the uh, full-time position, um, secure position with the Thunder mm-hmm. came up. Um, but, I mean, all of those experiences were, were great just in terms of helping me understand what working in professional sports is like, um, the, the realities of working with players and coaches and front office staff and uh, understanding um, how to handle all that. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but what, uh, what in your opinion is the like differences between your time in NFL coverage versus now being solely in the NBA? Is there really any differences aside from just the content you're producing or is, is there other things behind the scenes that we don't really see? Oh yeah. I mean, just their worlds apart, uh, in terms of a whole number of things, Mm -hmm. the biggest is just the schedule. Um, in the NFL, you're home five straight days during the week from Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. You travel, if you, if you have a home game, you're home the whole week. And if you are on the road, you travel on Saturday, you get in, um, you're gone. So basically in the NBA, you know, for a, a preseason regular season plus the playoffs uh you can be gone for a total of what what basically amounts to like 90 days um during the year you know almost three months during the season whereas in the nfl you're maybe gone for a total of three weeks in terms of number of days that you're out of town so the travel is completely different um you know in the nba it's something that um i realized once i was in it but i remember uh, from one of those 30 for 30s about the, uh, the U remember the, the, um, mm-hmm. my hurricanes football team, they would always take their helmets off, um, so that people could see their faces. And, you know, in the NBA, our superstars are so visible and even, you know, the, the 10th, 11th, 12th guys, um, you know, they can't walk around without being recognized as NBA players. Whereas in the NFL, you got 54 guys in that locker room and, the vast majority of them can walk into their grocery store and nobody's going to really 
mm. that much of an eye. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's a little bit more uh, obscurity. Um, and it's just, a, it's a different dynamic. Um, there it's, it's harder in some ways to get to know the guys in the NFL because there's so many of them. Um, but also, uh, they're, you know, a little bit less, there's less pressures on all of them. I mean, NBA players, they, they they get pulled in a million different directions. Um, whereas some of the, mm-hmm. the NFL guys are, had a little bit more obscurity. Yeah, that's, that's a big, a big difference. The NBA guys are definitely much more famous and you talked a lot about the crazy travel schedule in the NBA. So you've been all over the place, right? You've been to all sorts of different NBA cities. Uh, you've been in the NBA for, what did you say? Nine eight, years? Yeah, my eight season. Yeah. Eight yeah. seasons. Wow. Yeah. So, so you've been all over the place. What are the things that stick out to you about OKC as compared to other NBA cities? Well, I think the biggest thing about Oklahoma City is that uh, from the very first day I was there, you could just tell it was special and different. And, and part of that is they it was built from scratch and it was built recently. And so everybody kind of felt that investment um, of growing something together. It's the only major sports team there. Um, and so obviously that that's a big factor. Uh, but the people just, they just love the team. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma City Ooh. itself as a city, uh, it's grown and, and developed so much since I've been uh, in town. And I, I love living there. Um, I, I met my wife there. We're settled, you know, settled down there. And uh, when I moved out to Oklahoma, I didn't think that it would be necessarily where I, um, you know, stayed for, for a long time. But you were gonna um, pull a Fred Katz? <laughs> well, I, I didn't know, you know, I came from the East Coast. I had I had no idea, and the organization has been unbelievable to me um, in terms of continuing to uh, allow me to spread my wings and um, you know take on new risks and new challenges. And um, they've they've kept giving me um, reasons to not even look um, at, at anything else, really. Hey, that's great, man. And I could think I can speak for all Thunder fans when we're glad they keep giving you reasons not to look elsewhere. So mm-hmm. happy to have you. So we're, uh, I think that's a comfortable transition on to our Thunder questions. Um, so the first one we got, have you heard any of the players, you know, with all your access and your, your involvement in every practice, have you heard any of the players comment on the loves patch at all? <laughs> You know, um, not oh, really. Of uh, which they're one in three, I think, right? <laughs> uh, I know. Everybody, it's always like the jersey <laughs> counter of like, what's their record in this jersey? <laughs> what's their record in that jersey? Um, so I was there, actually. We did a, a photo shoot with right. um, with some of the guys when uh, the new jerseys were about to be unveiled, mm-hmm. the, the Loves patch. Um, you know, guys enjoyed it. It was kind of, it was like, you know, most... Um, photo shoots but um you know these guys they they kind of take those things in stride for the most part so uh there hasn't been that i've heard much if any conversation about the the patches um in any direction man you would think you would think with what with russell westbrook's fashion sense that he would yeah <laughs> would have put his foot down but <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, once he gets on that court, nothing matters. Nothing matters. That's, right. that's, his, that's his only friend. 
Only friend of the ball, not the patch. That's right. That's right. Spalding. Yeah. <laughs> he stole that from Love and Basketball, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So kind of kind of keeping on with this with this theme of, of the team. Um you've been here about eight eight years, like you said. Um one of the big things that they talk about when they talk about each team, each year's team is the chemistry on the team. Mm-hmm. Um so have you noticed a different feel for this year's team versus previous teams as far as maybe better chemistry or, you know, or, or is it just something that kind of ebbs and flows throughout a season? And it's not really something that's that huge of a thing. Uh, I think it's a pretty huge thing. And I will say, I do, I do feel like this team's chemistry is fantastic. Um, there's just something about uh, the way that these guys hang with each other on the court, off the court, um, you know, they'll stick around and just talk and chat on the plane when we're getting ready to get off the plane and they'll, they'll hang out and spend more time with each other after practice and shoot arounds, particularly on the road. I mean, the guys just sit there and, and chat with each other and talk with each other and laugh. And, you know, most places at work, people at five o'clock, they want to get out of there as quickly as possible, no matter how good of friends they are with their coworkers. But, it really just does not seem that way um, with these guys this season. And I, and I don't mean to say that to say that in years past, um, like there's been anything wrong with the chemistry, because I actually feel like every year that I've been here, the, the team chemistry has been quite good. I just, I would say this year has felt maybe a little bit extra special. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the connection that PG and Russell have. And then, you know, augmenting that Raymond Felton is such a huge presence in the mm-hmm. locker room and he is so tight with PG and Russ that um, it really creates a, a very special dynamic. Yeah. So I'm, you know, so the, we have Nick Collison, who's like slightly affiliated with the team right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then Raymond Felton, like you said, in the locker room. So how important do you think that is having those guys around for, for a season like this? Oh, it's super important. Um, Raymond is a guy that is with the young guys as much as he is with PG and Russ. And he might not play for, I mean, he didn't play for about two months. And every single day after practice, he's going through the same shooting drills that PG and Russell are going through. And it would be super easy for a guy in his 14th, 15th year to mm-hmm. say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to duck out. Uh, but he's there, and he's he's working with the main guys. He's working with Hamadou Diallo. He's working with um, – he, he did a great job, um, you know, over the years just with some of the younger point guards that we've had, some of the younger guards. Terrence Ferguson he was great with last year. Um, and, and I think those types of presences are huge. Uh, Nick Collison last season, you know, here's a guy. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody, uh, particularly to the, to the organization. Um, but he was a guy that wasn't in the rotation. And typically after practices, the guys who aren't in the rotation play three on three against each other. And usually those guys are, you know, the first, second year, third year guys, uh, you know, Nick Collison's playing three on three with them. And you mm-hmm. know, he, didn't, he didn't have to, he didn't have to do that, but he knew that it was going to keep him sharp and it was going to help ultimately help the team if he was keeping, you know, all of the back end of the, the roster guys sharp. Yeah, and that's how that's how you get your jersey retired, right? That's right. That's right. 
<laughs> so you mentioned a lot about um, how, how how we've never had bad chemistry on this team. Um, it's it's actually always been pretty good, and this season in particular has actually stood out, which makes it that much more amazing that we've noticed it because yeah. we're we're not a team who's had bad chemistry. So like for I don't know like I don't want to throw a team under the bus, but for a team who has had bad chemistry a decent chemistry season would stand out for, for one to stand out for us is kind of a big deal. So my question is, do you notice any differences with this team when they're on a losing streak? Like they have been recently versus when things are going very well, like they were in February, um, you know, like changes in demeanor changes in messaging by the team changes in practice intensity, etc. Um, the the messaging is usually about the same. They they try to be really. Billy Donovan does a great job of really trying to be consistent. And I I often feel like Billy is hardest on his team after they win, and gentler mm-hmm. with his team after they lose. Um, I think that you know one thing that he's really focused on. Uh, and Paul George mentioned it actually on Friday night after that win in in Toronto, is you know, when you win games, that can often mask some things that are going on, you know, under the surface that maybe you got away with in that game. And when you lose, it makes it seem like, well, everything that you did that night was bad. And that's just not, neither neither of those is ever the case. Um, and so, you know, Billy was explaining today, like, you know, we lost in overtime to the Raptors at home. Well, you know, nobody would be surprised if the Raptors went to the NBA Finals. So pushing those guys to overtime and you you know you lose in overtime, you had to do a couple things right to to make that happen. So so I think um, what the team has really done a good job of this year is you know everybody talks about being process oriented and not um, outcome driven, and I think that this team has really tried to put its money where its mouth is in terms of. Um, being focused on the way that they're playing and how they're playing as opposed to what the final result on the scoreboard is. And, and obviously if you lose, you can play bad and lose and and you can play well and win. And, and those things usually correlate, but I think that they haven't overreacted to those times where maybe they've won, but they haven't played very well, or maybe they've lost and they played quite well. It just, you know, they didn't, the ball didn't go in the basket or, you know, a few mm-hmm. things d- didn't go right. So um, I'd say it's, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but basically I think the biggest thing that stood out from a chemistry standpoint in terms of how they've dealt with this is they've really stuck together regardless of, of the situation, and they they haven't, you know, thrown anybody under the bus. They haven't pointed fingers. They haven't, mm-hmm. you know, lashed out. Um, and they've they've tried to keep an even keel regardless of what the result on the scoreboard said. Hey man, f- feel free to have as long of a wind as you want. We, we, that's what you're here for. Like, I I think the I think the process over result mantra that they've taken up is, is a really smart way to look at basketball. Um, I think that I think that there. I saw your tweet when Billy Donovan was saying that their their good shooting had maybe masked some slippage on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And I think we all saw that at the time and just hoped it would be okay. But then the shooting came back 
not down to earth, below earth. It's <laughs> the center of the earth, I guess, yeah. right? And, and the defenses remain decent, but, right. the, but the offense is so bad now that that you can't cover for it anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think I think that's one of the things that probably Billy would have said at that time is, you know, it's unrealistic and unfair to expect Terrence Ferguson to shoot. 49% from three, like he did in the yeah. month of January or whatever, you know, 47% in, in January. That's mm-hmm. just, that's unsustainable for anyone, not just, you know, not just Terrence, but just using him as an example. But, you know, I, I think that's, you're making the, the, the correct point, Stephen, which is um, you got to be on the lookout for the things that aren't going well, even when you're losing. And, and it's constantly a process. It's like whack-a-mole. It's like, you got to be ready for that next thing to pop up and and try to stamp it out before uh, before it becomes an issue and, and an issue that ends up losing you a game. That sounds like cheating at whack-a-mole, man. You can't just cover the holes. You got to wait for the mole to pop up. Yeah, I mean that's what makes it hard, though. You gotta you you gotta anticipate, and sometimes it's too late. Whenever I used to play whack-a-mole and like uh, like circus places, I would just put my whole body on the thing. <laughs> Not if it would be able to pop up. So maybe we should just start doing that. Billy Donovan um, strategy. Just cover everything. <laughs> I think that's the super team strategy, actually. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, should, we should definitely get in you, that. You that need vein. you need five all stars to that's cover the, all. That's the monsters. <laughs> that's the monsters. Right. <laughs> so yeah, the the Thunder actually did get a good win in Toronto in the last game. Um, we're very excited about that to kind of get off the slide and. Full disclosure for the fans, we are recording this podcast on Sunday night. It will not be aired, released. I guess nobody airs anything anymore. Sorry, I'm old. This will not be released until Tuesday afternoon. So, Nick, we need your prediction. Did the Thunder win yesterday? The Thunder won yesterday. This question hurts my brain. (laughs) (laughs) That's my my retroactive opinion. (laughs) And after they did win, by how much did they win? That is the follow-up question. Well, I think the only way we'll be able to figure that out is if we have Doc Brown to bring us back. <laughs> Great, Scott. <laughs> Marty. Oh, man. That's funny. All right. So uh, you already mentioned his name uh, once before. Uh, so Billy Donovan, uh, he's always seems to be a, a hot issue on Thunder Twitter, at least, whenever we win a bunch of games, he's in the race for coach of the year. When we lose a bunch of games, people think we should fire him. So, you know, just ridiculous takes all all the time on, on Twitter. Uh, but I, I think you have a unique insight into his uh, style of coaching and just the way he conducts the team, you know, since you're on the practice court so much. So uh, I was wondering if you could inform our listeners who uh, like to have pretty hot takes but don't have any information whatsoever if you could just enlighten them perhaps on the way he coaches and uh just you know is is he one of those guys who um lets the players take control or does he usually manage the practice uh and whenever there's sorts you know types of conflicts player player relationships like that how much is he in control and how much does he let the players do what they need to do well first of all i you know i'm privileged to some of the dynamic of Billy's coaching, but not all of it. So, you know, even even for me, anything that kind of on the back half of your question that you're talking about, 
that's that's deeper in-house um, than than I'll ever know in terms of mm-hmm. mediating disagreements or you know trying to figure out um, yeah how to get guys exactly on the same page or whatever. But I will say like, just in terms of a description of who Billy is as a coach, um, he's a grinder, man. I mean, this guy is an unbelievably hard worker. Um, his, his off day routine is watching hours and hours of film. And that's, he just, he like, he just, um, enjoys that. He, he loves breaking it down. He loves the game of basketball he loves talking basketball all the time. He loves explaining um, different situations and, and aspects of the game. Um, and so, when it comes to you know actually coaching the team, he's from day one kind of talked about it, it being a collaborative effort. You know, he came in from college and he recognized, okay, I'm not just going to walk into the NBA where you know you have to have some type of um, like corporate knowledge basically of what the NBA game is like what's normal, what's not normal. And so he knew that he was going to need to lean on Russell Westbrook and at the time Kevin Durant to help him understand exactly where his opportunities were to help the team. Um, and I think when we when we look at kind of the coaching and player dynamic in the NBA, there's really so much that is up to the players in general. Right. And the coach, the coach can help you um, through some strategy, some adjustments, some, um, you know, specific in-game management and some macro things as well. But I think Billy's approach from day one was, let me come in here. I'm not going to assume that I know everything, but once I get the lay of the land and once I've, you know, developed these personal relationships with Russell Westbrook and, and some of the other guys on the team, then I'll have a sense of, all right, where are the areas that I can help this team? How can I figure out ways to to help us win on the margins? Because, you know, talent is obviously a massive factor in the league, but every game comes down to two to three possessions, basically. I mean, even your best margins of victory, uh, you know, on average in the NBA over the course of the season are somewhere around six or seven points. So you're talking three possessions. And mm. Sometimes that comes down to like, can we turn the ball over 14 times instead of 17 times tonight? Mm-hmm. And that might be one small adjustment of how how you do things on a on sideline out of bounds plays, or if you know somebody's getting trapped in the pick and roll, like can we can we position guys in a slightly different way to avoid those two or three extra turnovers that might make a massive difference in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those were sort of the the types of things that when Billy came in, he's he's figuring out okay how can I how can I help this team um, take those next steps uh, and augment the talent that exists on the roster. Yeah, and I think honestly, you know, you said coaching Russell Westbrook. I think that to me is one of the most interesting player coach dynamics, just because Russ is such a his energy is very unique and he's a very passionate guy. And so it's kind of interesting to see how he uh, can can coach a player like that. Um, and so, you know, moving moving into Russ a little bit, his his postgame interviews, I, I, I'm sure all Thunder Nation knows they're notoriously um, sometimes difficult. Uh, he doesn't give a lot of responses some some days when he's uh, particularly after a loss, he he usually will do the next question type of response. 
Um, and that can be pretty difficult to work with, especially as a post-game interviewer such as yourself. Uh, so what I, I'm curious if you have kind of a game plan with with somebody like Russ who, who can be somewhat difficult at times. Do you, do you kind of try to start the interview uh, with some easier questions that he think he'll be more receptive to? Um, and then go into some more difficult ones, or do you do you kind of feel it out as the interview goes? Yeah, well, I will say I think uh, it's a great question, and I'll mm-hmm. say uh, Russell Westbrook has made me a better, made me much better at my job. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah, you know, because you know, you you're not going to get away with a lazy question. You're not going to get right. away with an uninformed question. Right. Um, you're not going to get away with a question that leans into stereotypes or weak, lazy narratives. Um, and I think that that's something that, uh, has actually been really valuable, um, for me. I think a lot of it is just understanding Russ as a, as a human being. Um, and really, you know, the, the, I'm very fortunate that I get to be around the team and have, you know, access to these guys as human beings, because you start to understand the types of, subjects, the types of questions, the way that you ask questions and how guys respond to those things. So I think there is some strategy to it. Um, I think f- um, for most players, not even Russ specifically, it's a lot easier in a post-game setting when they're just you know, minutes removed from being in the heat of competition. Um, right. fo- focusing on the specifics of that night rather than like wider sweeping narratives is a lot better. Uh, I think I think when you try to especially right off the bat if you try to tie whatever happened that night in that game to some larger grander context um you might run into a wall. Uh the other thing is uh all uh Barry Trammell. <laughs> well, I mean Barry Barry does a great job. I mean Barry like and Barry has a different job than what I have. And so right, 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 you know, right, it's right. I you know I I have certain things that I need to and and don't need to do in terms of what what's appropriate for me in my role. Um but I I guess um a few other like small things are not asking yes or no questions. Um Right because a lot of times that's just a one word answer. Um, and then, you know, I think, that, I think, and, and, don't say talk, and don't say talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. No talk about, but I've also always, um, I've always felt that, um, in order to connect with the guys and to what their mindset is, um, you don't, th- there's no need to be positive after every game and ask a positive question. But I think it is important to at least um, kind of portray optimism within your questions. You know, it doesn't help anyone and it doesn't provide much of anything if the the question that you're leading to is, you know, well, clearly, like, you guys just can't shoot and it's never going to get better. Or something like, I mean, what are you supposed to say? Yep, like, we're, we're just going to throw in the towel then. You're right. Um, right. so, so, you know, a lot of my questions end up being something along the lines of, you know, particularly after a loss, like, you know, what were some of the areas tonight that you guys didn't perform at a very high level at, and what are the areas where you think that are, you know, reasonable that you can improve off of from this and need to, um, 
And, and I think that, that guys are a bit more receptive to that than necessarily some questions that might um, feel like they, they're being baited into um, pointing fingers or, or blaming somebody for that night's loss or um, sort of a- admitting that they weren't as, that, that, that they're just not good enough or something like that. Right. And also a quick follow-up to that question. Um, approximately how many times do you think you've heard Westbrook say, go out and compete at a high level uh, <laughs> during a post-game interview? There are some times when I'm like, well, you know, and, and it's not like there are some times when I ask Russ a question and I'm like, dang it. I know exactly the <laughs> yeah, words yeah. that are about to come out of his mouth. I can, I can sometimes even see that too with you or some of the other reporters. Like as soon as you say it, you're like, I know the answer is coming. That, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, when we talk defense, he's going to always say always. That they just use, we use our, our length, physicality, our yep. size, our speed. Yep. And, and, you know, he believes that. And it's true that those are the, the biggest qualities of, the thunder and, and they really have been the kind of thunder DNA mm-hmm. uh, for the last 10 years. Um, so that's true, but sometimes I'm like, you know what? I, I could have found a different way to ask that question or be more, uh, more creative. It's, al- it's almost like a wasted question because you got the same response. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's tough. And, and so I, I think, um, Sometimes I do an okay job, and, and sometimes I could do better. <laughs> hey, hey, man, you wanted to get into politics and ask politician questions. You got into the right organization. <laughs> <laughs> I'll t- tell you, you know, and I'm pretty sure Nick has seen this a couple times. I've been in there a couple times, and I've asked Russell a couple questions. And the worst thing is whenever he responds with a question. Because, <laughs> you, you know, know you're, you know you're in trouble. Exactly. Yeah, you know you, you, know, you done messed up then, and. And yeah. he's got he's got you on the defensive. If if he asks you if he asks you what what do you think? What do you think? Or what <laughs> or what did you see? Uh, then yeah, you know that that probably it's you it, done messed up. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so one me, thing we all know: you can't defend Russell Westbrook on your heels. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. Right. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Nick. Um, so uh, as you go longer into your sports journalism career. Um, does your idea of fandom change? And what I mean by that is I, I recently went to a game as a fan. And so this this season I've, I've been provided the opportunity to go ahead and go to games, more games as a media member than as a fan. And it just seems that when you go, when you when you get off that perch and go back to being a fan, you sometimes don't cheer as hard as you used to. You don't look at the game the same because you're looking at it more ana- analytically. Um, you're looking at it, you know, just differently. So th- does, you, does your idea of fandom change as you go further into y- your career? I think I think the one thing that has struck me the most is just how long the NBA season is and that, um, you know, for most fans who are coming to the arena – that's maybe three to f- three hours of their week. And they probably maybe only go to one game a week at most. And then they kind of move on. But for these guys, it's, and, and even, you know, even us who are, are around the team all the time, like when the game's over, we're still in it the next day and the next day and the next day. And so, and, and so I think um, there's a lot more patience when you're, 
kind of in it on an everyday basis in understanding that like this season is so long and that one specific night things might look amazing or things might look terrible. Um, and, and I think, and it makes total sense that a fan who's dropping in for one night or for a, you know the second half of a game and didn't get to catch much of anything else later in the week, um, you know, you're going to come away with a lot of impressions that are going to stay with you for the next two weeks based off, based off of that one, you know, half of basketball that you watched or the one game that you watched. Um, but for these guys, the players who are in it day in and day out, um, you know, I think there's a lot more, we always talk about perspective, right? You know, that was one of the things that when Nick Collison or Raymond Felton gets interviewed, everybody's always trying to get their perspective um, and, you know, to, to take a step back and look at the big picture. Um, and I think that there's, there's truth in that. So now we, we kind of get into some of the interview questions. You know, we, we've kind of been talking about locker room interview, uh, but you, you are known as a sideline reporter and you're known as the guy that gets to talk to them right after the game. Um, so just starting off, not negative, but what, what is, what is your most embarrassing moment uh, while interviewing a player? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think you guys know the one that, that <laughs> was the most challenging, but I mean, at the same time, like I couldn't help but laugh when, <laughs> when uh, Carmelo got that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. shower there uh, on the court in the Staples Center. Um, I was very, I was very happy that it was a, a late game on the, on the <laughs> coast. So, you know, it, it didn't seem like the FCC was, uh, bearing down anybody's necks, uh, <laughs> one. but you know, I, I thought I was quick, but clearly I was not quick enough with that microphone <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it, it lived in infamy. I, it was funny. It ended up on like Jimmy Kimmel and <laughs> yeah, like. It was one of those things that you could have just never predicted. Earlier that game, like I got to interview Baker Mayfield during the game, and so it was just—it was kind of like a crazy night. Um, yeah, it was—it was—it was wild. I mean, honestly, every time you went up for a rebound, you could hear what Carmelo was saying. So that was probably the most edited thing that was out there. I think he knows where those basket car- uh, microphones are. Yeah, just, he just like, yells right into him. Yeah. His, his, he goes up for a rebound. His head turns. And he just yells. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, he does his voice. You know, in in interviews, actually, in the locker room, he has a very like had a very um, soft spoken nature mm-hmm. and kind of a quiet voice. But you know, you got it's it's important to communicate on that floor, guys. <laughs> and and part of it's communicating to those basket microphones as well. So I'm I'm guessing that's also your most memorable moment while interviewing a player, right? Actually, no. Um, okay. My my favorite interview that I ever did was actually my very first one on camera, um, in a walk off setting, and uh, it was a double walk off uh, with Russ and Kevin Durant um, after they won an overtime game in Orlando. It's a crazy game. Was it that West- game? Westbrook hit a half court yeah, shot to, to send, send it, it to overtime. overtime. Yeah. That it, game. Was, it was an yeah. absurd game. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have any, before I took the job, I really didn't have any on camera experience. Um, and, and like I said earlier, the team continued to let me make mistakes and let me try and let me, um, 
you know, do practice reports for the website and, um, you know, one-on-one interviews for the web and, and things that we could cut and edit. Um, and so that moment when, when I did my first walk-off interview for the Fox Sports Oklahoma broadcast, that really meant a lot to me um, to, you know, have them trust me in that moment and, and trust me, obviously, with yeah. a really big moment for the team and the organization with those two guys at the same time. Yeah, and and going back to your your interview with with Mello, I I I just imagine whenever you're in an interview now after that, whenever somebody comes up behind someone else with a cup of water, I just imagine you're like throwing the mic into the stands <laughs> and like getting it getting it out of the way so you don't get any hot any potato. Other, my my court awareness is much better now. <laughs> like you're, I I you have I'm, all I'm you have eyes on court. all the cups of water in the stadium. Yeah. You've got like yeah. an eagle eye vision on it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like those those moments when guys come over post game and you know, somebody tackles yeah. the team. I mean, like those that's gold. So like we want right. to embrace, you know, you embrace that stuff as much as possible. But right. Because it brings out the, the real personality. <laughs> yeah, you gotta yeah. be ready for the uh, the <laughs> the errant <laughs> F bomb. Right, right. Yeah. So all right, we're we're gonna move on into our last little segment here. So again, thank you, Nick, for joining our podcast. Um, this is our this is our rapid fire uh, segment. So you know, we just have a list of questions, completely not related to Thunder at all. Just kind of you know, random things that we thought of, and you just answer them one at a time. So uh, first question. This is actually um, well, actually, I'll say that one for a little bit. So the first question is: Last movie you have watched? Ooh. Um... Uh, you can think of at least. I watched. I actually watched The Godfather recently, which is one of my top Ooh. two favorite movies of all time. The first um, one. Yeah, the first one. Okay. Uh, but let's see what what movie. What's the other? We, maybe we can skip that. Okay. Maybe we can skip that. What's you said? It's one of your top two favorites. What's, what's yeah, your favorite? yeah. Uh, Goodwill Hunting is my favorite movie. Mm, good. Nice. And then, then it's Godfather one and two uh, are my. Yeah, like, you have like a solidified five. list. I I I, re- I uh, respect that. I don't yeah. have. <laughs> yeah. like that. I can go a little <laughs> bit further, but I I'm sure there's. Uh, yeah, uh, list your top fifty while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking. Oh, I just dropped my phone with the questions. Speaking of movies, um, what is, are you a Marvel or a DC guy? Um. I would have said DC. I like I love uh, the Batman stories, but uh, actually I watched um, Thor Ragnarok uh, somewhat recently, and I had no idea how funny those movies were. And yeah. so I'm like, I think I'm gonna get into the Marvel universe a little bit now. I like that hasn't really been one of my my focuses, but. I thought that movie was pretty funny, and uh, I'm like, all right, let me uh, let me check these out. <laughs> Breaking news, Nick Gallo, Fox Ports, now getting into Marvel. Stop <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> depressing. I, I feel like general consensus is people think DC is better, but the Marvel movies are better. I feel like most most people yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Generally, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, next question. Last TV show you have watched? Uh, True Detective, uh, Ooh, season I haven't three. Seen okay. And then my, my wife it's and good, I are... Man. Oh yeah, it's good. It's good. I liked it. It. I still think season one is my favorite, uh, but season three was good. Are you a Throny? Oh yeah, I was just about to say my wife and I are rewatching Game of Thrones to get ready mm-hmm. for next month. 
my man. And I, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna get there in time. These, this, I haven't had as much time as I thought I was on this road trip to to get some episodes in. Man, my wife, my wife and I too. But we started too early. We just finished it tonight. I think we might have to do it again. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> have you guys listened to the uh, the binge mode podcasts? Oh my god, yes. It's yeah, my, they're, good. Yeah. they're so good. So good. <laughs> All right, moving on. Favorite. Local. Shout out binge mode. Yeah. Yes, shout out binge mode. I Not agree. even waster. <laughs> Carbon. Carbon. <laughs> oh God. All right. Favorite local OKC restaurant. Oh man. Um, Gabriella's. I Ooh, love. I love that place. Love yeah. Gabriella's. We've. My family goes there all the time. Excellent Italian food. I will have uh, to try that next time I'm in OKC. Yeah, you gotta go. It's very good. We should get a sponsor from them now since we yeah, talked them out. <laughs> See Shout out that to bruschetta, uh, best bruschetta. Yes. yes, that's so good. Oh my gosh. I wish I could go back soon. But all right, moving on. Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. Okay, good. But I'm not like Royce Young level on the ketchup <laughs> thing. So I like, I like a normal medium amount of ketchup on like regular things. You don't put ketchup on your cereal? No. no, no, no. <laughs> All right. Favorite sport outside of basketball? Um, football. Okay. Yep. I grew up playing baseball. Um, and oh. uh, I was I, I was much better at baseball than I was at basketball. And I'm when I graduated high school, I kind of was like sick of it. I was done with it. And I'm kind of getting back into baseball now, actually. Um. Do you have a team? Phillies. Yeah, the, the Phillies. Yeah, yeah. And, and I swear it's not because Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. <laughs> uh, sure, 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 sure. sure. Uh, I actually, I, I got to go to Philly. My, my extended family is in Philly, and so, um, my wife and I and a couple friends and um, a couple family members got to go to a, a Phillies game last fall, and uh, my wife's a Cubs fan, and they happen to be playing against the Cubs. And the Phillies won on a uh, a walk off home run, so I was very happy to rub that in her face. <laughs> nice. All right, so so last rapid fire question: What is Leslie McCaslin la- naming her daughter? I don't know. I you know I I like to think that I can get answers out of people, but I I can't pry that one out of Leslie. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we're all we're all very much looking forward to uh, to the next. McCaslin joining the world because um, they're they're a great family. Okay, I have a last last question because I had I had two more really ridiculous questions I want to ask you. I just want to get your opinion on them. Right. So, first question. Um, this is a hypothetical. Would you rather go to jail for a year or go to jail with a Rubik's cube and you can't leave until you solve it? I gotta go with the Rubik's Rubik's cube. I probably would spend the same amount of time in there. <laughs> that's the that's the thing is like, could you do it in under a year? I think I could do it in under a year. I mean, I'm not that smart, but I think like that's literally all I would spend my time doing because I would be trying to get out of jail as quickly as possible. Right. Well, here's you know, well, here's the thing though. Most prisoners have access to Google these days. It also oh depends. yeah, actually, that's a great point. <laughs> It depends on the type of jail, right? Because it's like if it's like Guantanamo Bay, obviously you want minimal amount of time. But if it's like one of those nicer jails where you basically just like at a spa all day, yeah. then 
you would just like I wouldn't really care. I'd just like chill out and yeah, have I, a can, time. I I might be able to hang for a year. I'd yeah. take solitary <laughs> confinement though. I'd be cool yeah. with that. <laughs> I assumed the crime I committed was like a misdemeanor because uh, you know we're not we're good good. So uh, good outstanding citizens here. Yeah, exactly. No one, no one here is gonna do any crime. So I mean, it'd be a misdemeanor, and you just go and have a nice time in jail. He's shaking his head and in, in disappointment <laughs> at that question. By the way, so I'm gonna quickly move on to the last. Uh, I wish that Matt's concept of jail was actually reality. <laughs> I oh, speaking of speaking of it, have you guys watched Parks and Rec? Um, the jail. Does anyone know watch Parks and Rec here? Anyway, I have not watched the whole thing, no. Okay. There's a there's an episode in Parks and Rec where there's this like really rich city neighboring them, and their jail is basically just a spa. <laughs> it's not actually a jail, and they've got like all these little treats on platters that they give their jailmate. Jailmates. Are there in. are there Rubik's cubes involved? No, but I'm just saying like that would be the jail I'd like to live in, and then I want to solve a Rubik's cube. I just hang out for a year. Okay. <laughs> anyway, last question. Uh, which animal would you compare yourself to and why? Oh, this is what you end with? Yes. <laughs> you guys can add another. I'm just, I'm just that's all I, I got. Think, I think I'm like a I think I'm like a lab. I think I'm like a dog. It's I just like that. happy to be there. I can see and that. like running around and you know, just yeah. trying to be friends with everybody. I feel like I'd have a similar answer. Just like a dog, just like chilling out, having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Like to just eat and like yeah. sleep and hang out and you know be around people. Yeah, that's just happy. Yeah, exactly. Just be happy to be around people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's me. Nice. I gotta confess, I I honestly asked that exact question to a person in a real life job interview recently. <laughs> <laughs> What'd they say? They said bird, and I said more specific. <laughs> I want to fly away. Give me, give me the Latin bird name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need the genus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Nick, it's been great. It's been fun. It's been real. I had a great time. I'm pretty sure the guys had a great time also. Oh, yeah. um, guys, thanks, there, for, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, man, thanks for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? Any, any project you got coming up? Uh, I would just say, um, you know, obviously uh, we love it when you guys tune in to Fox Sports Oklahoma. Um, and please uh, stay on our website, okcthunder.com. My game previews, game recaps, uh, feature stories, everything kind of housed there on our website. And then obviously all of our social channels at OKC Thunder. Um, you know, it, it's possible that uh, Russ will average a triple-double for the third straight season. So I got, got a little something in the works on that. And then I did a piece, mm. a couple pieces around Nick Collison's um, uh, number retirement, uh, one that, that came out the day before and then one where I kind of followed Nick around throughout that night. So um, mm. check out those two pieces on OKCThunder.com. There, I, I enjoyed writing both of them. Thanks. Great website. What a great website. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Well, well, Nick, thank you very much. Hope to have you on later in the future. This was fun. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Appreciate it. But other than that, we want to say goodbye. We want to say, just like we always end these podcasts, thunder up, guys. Thunder, thunder up.
right, man. Well, thank you very much, and you have a nice night. All and, right. Uh, good luck in Memphis. Thanks, Thanks man. Nick. All right. See you guys. Right. Go Tar Heels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you ran them off. <laughs> thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.